to say about that. And that's why I thought I'd just reflect for a few minutes on this very well-known story of Abraham in chapter 11. Now, I think you read out, Jim, when you read it, that it was, it's a famous chapter of faith. People in the Bible who, who demonstrated faith that pleased God. And there are some big names in this list. You know, Moses takes up verses 23 and 29. Um, Enoch, you know, Noah. But Abraham, uh, that's where I want to focus this morning. And Abraham was sort of the prototype for the Jews of a person of faith. He was the most important man in their history, by far, the father of their nation. Um, And when we think about the faith of Abraham, it's easy for us to reflect back on these giants that we see in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, But I want to suggest to you that actually this story says something the opposite. Let me explain what I mean by just three really simple observations. In verse 8, if you've got a Bible there, you can look with me. It says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a a place that he'd later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. You know, the first observation I would make is that faith that pleases God doesn't demand an answer to the question, where? Faith that pleases God doesn't demand an answer to the question, where? Now, the story raises all sorts of questions. I mean, how did God call Abraham? It said God called him. And perhaps you're thinking, well, if God called me like he called Abraham, then I'd go. You know, I, I don't know what he wants me to do. If he called me, if only he made himself clear to me. And we think of God in the Bible as sort of speaking in this, you know, Abraham, get up and go. You know, and maybe that's what he did. But the Bible doesn't say that that's what God did. And the occasions in Scripture when God actually spoke like that audibly are, are, are very, very few. We can look back at the Bible and look at two or 3,000 years of narrative and get this impression that God spoke to these people all the time in ways that he doesn't speak to us. Actually, it's categorically not the case. There are occasions where God speaks audibly, but it's not particularly often. And in fact, the Bible says there are seasons when the word of the Lord was silent. Well, how, how were they called to live by faith? Well, they were called to live by faith in light of what they already knew. Sometimes he spoke in dreams. He, he still does. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've met hundreds and hundreds of the nearly, they reckon, 15 to 20 million Muslims that have come to Christ in the last 20 years. You don't hear that in the press. I've never met one who didn't have a dream of Christ. Not one. God still uses dreams. It's not that common, in certainly not common in my life, probably not in yours, and that's the sovereignty of God at work, but he certainly uses dreams. And you see that in the Bible. Sometimes he made his will known by just means of conscience and conviction. He certainly does that. The Apostle Paul speaks about our conscience. I reckon the conscience is the megaphone of the Holy Spirit because every human being has one. And if you're born again, your conscience is sensitized by the Spirit of God. 
And we are called to live in a way that's consistent with our conscience. Well, do we? Well, that's a bit convicting. He also speaks about, he speaks about the counsel of people or prayer and fasting. Truth is, the question isn't so much whether God speaks. It's that if he does, do we obey? And we think of the call of God as this sort of powerful, clear, distinct. In fact, my, my, I, I was uh, driving home. I used to be the pastor of a church on the Gold Coast. And I dro- drove into our driveway years ago when my little, well, he was 25 now, my son, but he was about four then. And um, I got out of the car and um, shut the door and I hear this little voice. Timothy. Just like that. What's that? Timothy, I knew it was him, he was always stuffing around, and um, couldn't see him, but I could hear his voice, and Timothy, and it was quiet enough that I couldn't figure out where it was coming from, and then it's Timothy, and I look, he's up this tree, right, like about as high as the top of this roof, and he's only a little fella, and he'd built this little tree house out of old rotten wood that he'd found in the backyard that I was going to burn, and it's like, crikey, mate! You're going to kill yourself. Get down. What, what are you doing? I'm being God, he said. <laughs> was, you know, maybe, maybe some of us just spin our wheels until we think God does that. It's actually unbiblical. Because the Bible tells us that he has made his will known to us and that his spirit leads us. It doesn't mean he'll give us the roadmap. It doesn't mean we'll have the architecture of our future. It does mean that day by day by day, living by faith, he will, he will navigate our life. And I would suggest to you that the times when God's will is most clear to you is when you look in the rearview mirror. You will see his faithfulness as you reflect on his faithfulness, which gives us the capacity to trust that when he does nudge us into something, that we have the confidence and the faith to simply obey. Now, I reckon the challenge of my Christian life is not whether God makes his will known to me in whatever way, but whether I have selective hearing. Because kids have that, don't they? Select you. You're, some of you parents are laughing. Yeah. I know. I was a kid once. My dad used to say to me, Tim, slow obedience is no obedience. When God called Abraham, he went. Even though he didn't know where he was going. There's a wonderful oh, oh, classic writer, A.W. Tozer, who put it this way 95% of the will of God of my life for my life would be satisfied if I apply, if I just applied one word obedience to what I already know and faith that pleases God is faith that obeys even though we may not know where he was going think about Abraham for a moment he was in his early 70s right this is passage if you can read the original story back in the old testament most people his age were settling down and he's being called to pack up his camels. And he's, uh, he's being asked to leave his home. Ur, they called it. Can you imagine living in a place called Ur? You know, where are you from? Ur. 
And his home was there, his life, his family. And he's old. He's lived a full life. And he's a, he was a God-centered man, obviously a godly man. But he has family, kids, parents who are really old. And at, just at that point, God speaks and asks him to leave. Here's another observation. If God is calling you to something, it inevitably follows that he's calling you from something. If he's calling you to somewhere, it inevitably follows he's calling you from somewhere. And that's part of the walk of faith, that you have to leave things behind. Sometimes it's things that are good to leave behind, like habits, ways of thinking, a lack of forgiveness, baggages of pain or resentment or unresolved issues. Sometimes his call is more at that level. Let it go. Leave it behind because I want to take you somewhere else. So wherever he leads us, even though we may not know the where, he's going to call us to leave something. And the question is, does my faith exercise itself in such a way that uh, I don't need to know the answer to the question where? before I obey. It's actually quite simple. Some of you oldies may rem remember a hymn that I used to hear in church when I was little. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways, reclothe us in our rightful mind, in purer lies thy service find, in deeper reverence praise, in simple faith, like theirs who heard beside the Syrian sea, the gracious calling of our Lord, let us like them, without a word, rise up and follow thee. That's what God's asking from us. Simple availability. And faith that pleases God doesn't demand an answer to the question, where? Well, second one, still in verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he'd later receive, obeyed and went. There it is, even though he did not know where he was going. Sorry, verse, here we go, next one. By faith he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Now, the second point, you have to know a little bit more about what's going on in this text because there's a Greek word that's used here. In the NIV, it just says he lived in tents. But the actual word that is used, and it's a deliberate word, is settled down permanently. Now, that's a paradox. Because if there's anything I know about a tent is that it's not something you live in permanently unless you're constantly on the move, like a nomad. So it's an, it's an oxymoron. It's, it's self-contradictory. You don't settle down permanently in tents. But if you do a study of that little concept, particularly in the New Testament, you'll find that that is exactly what the Bible tells us we are from God's perspective. We are nomads, pilgrims. Ephesians 6, I pray on my behalf that these words given to me in the opening of my mouth, Paul says, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. What is an ambassador? It's someone who represents an authority or a kingdom somewhere else. You want to know where the United States ambassador, if I had one to Australia... It's not in the, he doesn't live in the US, he lives in Australia. 
The Australian ambassador to Cambodia doesn't live in Canberra. He lives in Cambodia. In other words, it's not where you're from and it's not where you're returning. Implication, this is not our home. Heaven is. And that changes the perspective we have on stuff and what's important. And this is a massive challenge in a society that is obsessed with stuff. So then, Paul writes, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints of God's household. In other words, our home is in heaven. Paul says we're strangers and aliens on earth. We already get a sense of that, don't we, simply because we're Christians. Or if you're not, and you're thinking about following Christ, you need to know that it's not a popular thing. And increasingly we're living in a country where even our governing authorities are antagonistic towards people of faith. Well, God says, well, that's okay. You might have a passport in your shelf and you're you know, at home somewhere in a drawer and it might say Australia on it, but that's not from God's perspective, where your home is, and that's not where you're a citizen. You're a citizen of heaven. And that's a fantastic truth, because even death doesn't change your citizenship. And we can think about, you know, decisions that we make, priorities we have, and get caught up in anxieties and complexities in relationship and worries about the accumulation of success or popularity or Facebook likes or whatever it is that gives meaning and identity to our lives. And God says, don't, don't you know you're mine and I'm yours and flowers wither, but the promises of God, they stand forever. So trust me. In these things. I, and I, I learn these things often from my kids. That same little fellow, Robin, and thankfully he does love the Lord now at 24, but um, it wasn't that long after that. We were traveling from the Gold Coast where I was pastoring a church down to Coffs Harbor where Catherine's mum was living and my wife Catherine. And her mum was dying, very sad season. She had a brain tumor, a terminal brain tumor. And we were driving down with the kids to see her for the last time because she was going to fly to Melbourne for back to her home. It was, you can imagine it was pretty heavy in the car, particularly for Catherine. And so I, I gave the kids the wording up, right? Because we, we, had, we, we got five kids, but at, at that stage we, we had three, four. You lose track when you've got so many. And, um, and they're all in the car. And, and, and Robin, he, and he was a, so he's the extrovert, hit, bouncing off the wall sort of kid. So I gave him a bit of a chat before we got in the car, before Catherine came into the car. I said, now listen, mate, can you just not talk for the next two hours? Because he's always talking, he's asking questions about, you know, Dad, what if this happens? What if that, if that mountain was a you know, tsunami? Would we die? You know, all these random, you know, you know it's, you know, so, and I didn't want him doing that in the car. So I said, no, are, we, are we there yet? You know, are we there yet? No, are we there yet? You know? So I just said, look, just mum, mum needs to see Nan, and you're going to see her too, but could, could you just, like, be quiet? Oh, yeah. Well, we're at the door, like we're out there, five minutes in the drive. Hey, Dad, are we there yet? And it stopped the whole way. 
So we got about, you know, I don't know, 10 minutes out of Coss Harbour. And I said, now listen, everyone, and Rowan, when we pull up outside, and, and Catherine's mum was still reasonably conversant and, and you know, uh, lucid, and she was waiting out the front for us. She said, I'll be waiting out the front for you. I said, now we're going to pull up outside Nan's place, but I want you just to stay in the car and let mum get out and go and give her mum a hug and just greet her mum. So you wait until mum's got out and then you can go and give Nana a hug and just be careful, like, you know. So we, we pull up outside and there's Nana, you know, and before it even turned the engine off, the door, he's out the door, right? And I kid you not, he, he, he ran around and he leapt into her arms. You know what he said to her? Hello, Nana. How's your tumour? <laughs> now, at that point, I thought, I wonder if you can sell kids on eBay, you know. <laughs> and then he goes, Dad's, Dad, Dad says that you're, you're going to be with Jesus soon. Yeah, like, I am going to kill this child. <laughs> but the most, I think the most poignant and profound thing is what happened next. Because... Nana loves, loved, loves Christ. She's with him now. And she said, you know what, Robin? I am going to be with Jesus soon. And one day, I'm going to pray that you're with Jesus soon. Because I won't see you for a while until then. He said, I'll pray that too, Nana. And I could see in her eyes, it was almost a liberating thing for this little child to say, you're going to be with Jesus soon. The simple faith of a child, you know, consolidated and manifested something that is true about faith. I think that's why Jesus said, let the kids come to me, because unless you have faith like them, you won't get into the kingdom of heaven. What is that sort of faith? It's a simple faith. It's a trusting faith. It's a faith of safety. I'm safe with you. I know you. See, the Christian life, the life of faith, is a life of permanent impermanence. That's what this text is saying. April, uh, it says Abraham settled down in tents. Why was that such a big deal? Well, it says later on in the section of the text that we didn't, well, we read a bit of it, uh, he was looking forward to a city whose foundation and builder is God. That's heaven. Why was his faith pleasing to God? Because he, he lived on earth with eternity in mind. And that's all God asks of us. To make our decisions, to live our relationships, to allocate our priorities, not in the absence of this world, because we're in it, but not to be driven by it because we realize that our citizenship is in heaven. The faith that pleases God doesn't demand an answer to the question, where? And that second one is the when, isn't it? Permanently impermanent. He had no idea when God was going to fulfill the promises to him. And it turns out that he died before he saw those promises fulfilled. And every one of us who follows Christ is a fulfillment of that Abrahamic promise. It's still being fulfilled today. I was in the US about three months ago, went to an outreach service that was being run 
um, by an evangelist over there and they had a whole bunch of well-known, really high-profile Christian artists. Free concert and it was held at the Dallas Stadium. I thought, man, it must be a bunch of people coming. 65,000 people went to this thing. And it was just an outreach event to share the gospel of Christ. And um, Chris Tomlin and a whole bunch of other people were singing and it was all free. You didn't have to just bring a friend and hear the gospel. And the place was packed. This football stadium. And at the end, um, there was this very simple presentation of the gospel. The brokenness and sin of people. The separation from God. The reconciliation available through Jesus Christ. The call to repentance. Very clear presentation of the classic gospel. And when he asked if people would come down to give their lives to Christ, you couldn't see a piece of that football stadium because there were so many people on it. 15,000 people chose to follow Christ that night. You see, God's still working. He's still working. And people want hope. They want to know that someone knows the when and the where, even though they don't. And the last one, the third thing, and I'll finish with this, the faith that pleases God doesn't demand an answer to the question where or when. And the third one is how. When I have faith, my obedience is not dependent upon knowing how God is going to do what he does. And never more so than the life of this guy, Abraham. Think about it. He's 75 years old. God tells him he's going to be a dad. 75. Well, there's a big how right there. Sarah's 65 years old. That's a big how. They're not spring chickens. But they don't have a baby at that point. They're old. But they're not ancient. But then the years go by. 75 80, 81, no baby, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, 86. There's no Viagra back in those days, I'm telling you. And if you think I'm being crude, this text tells us that it was beyond in fact, it says they were as good as dead. Now, I want you to imagine, you rock home, you get a call from me. And anyone here got grandparents in their mid to late 80s? My parents are in their mid 80s, right? If they, ra- <laughs> I can imagine, if I'm on the way home and the phone rings, it's my old man, right? 85. Hey, g'day, Tim, how are you? you know? Yeah, good, Dad. Just imagine this if it's your grandparents, right? Hey, we just wanted to know if you'd like to. Pop in after church. Nan and I, we've got some news for you. <laughs> well, really? What is it? You're selling your home? You're buying a boat? You going to... No, 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 no. It's, it's nothing like that, but you better come over because so, you're going to have to hear it from us. So you, you rock over there, you were there, you give your hugs, and they say, So what's the news? Well, here, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nana and I. <laughs> We're going to have a baby. (laughs) You see what you're doing? You're laughing. And that's the point. They laughed. Don't miss in the brevity of biblical texts how 
unbelievably real it is. They laughed at this idea that they would have a baby. And then they had one. And they had one and God waited until the point, until it was beyond the point of possible and had moved into the impossible. And then, of course, they have a child who becomes the father of the people of God, from whose line was born Jesus Christ. See, faith that pleases God doesn't demand an answer to the question where. You may not know where God will take you. You, you may not know the when. You may not know the why, which is later on in this text if you read it. You may not know the how. But you're willing to obey, to live in light of what he has shown you. Day by day by day, that's faith that pleases God. And you can exercise that faith. You can. I can. There's a beautiful old poem, and I'll finish with this, by Edith Schaefer. It was made into a song, and it goes like this. All the bitter pain and sorrow that a day could ever be when I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee. Yet he found me, and I beheld him bleeding on that accursed tree, and my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. I reckon that's probably the classic modern Christian. Some of self and some of thee. Day by day, his tender mercies, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest heaven, deeper than the deeper sea, Lord, thy love at last has conquered none of self and all of thee. That's the journey of faith. All right? Let me pray. Thank you, Lord for your patience with us. Thank you for your sovereign over our, sovereignty over our lives. Help us to live by faith. By the power of your spirit, guided by your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's, um, let's stand and let's respond in song as we sing about truth.